Welcome to Rethink Retail, the show where we dive into the stories and strategies behind some of the most successful brands on the planet. From brick and mortar giants to e-commerce disruptors, we uncover the secrets to their success and deliver the keys to true retail transformation. So ask yourself, are you ready to rethink retail? The future of retail starts now. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Rethink Retail podcast. I am Julia Hare, your editor-in-chief, and I am joined today by Michelle Kelly, the chief executive officer of Lily Pulitzer, a brand many of us know and love, especially myself down in Florida. They're known for resort wear and much more, and we're here today to talk about her journey at the company as well as where they're headed as we look forward to the next few years. Michelle, thank you so much for joining. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be on this podcast. I'm a big fan already of the show. Thank you very much. And you have an amazing resume, LinkedIn profile. You've had quite the career in retail. And we wanted to talk a little bit for those who are listening, who are experiencing some of what you went through going up the ranks at Lee Plitzer all the way to the CEO level could you tell us a little bit about how you got to where you are today? Absolutely. It is, it's a windy road, but love sharing this story. It was very accidental in some ways, but then as I look back on it, it, it all makes sense. I do love sharing this story, so thank you for asking. The short version is I... I had three steps in a row in my kind of college to early career that I would describe as they created options and kept my options open, but they weren't a passionate decision, if that makes sense. So I was an undergrad. I chose to do the business program, not necessarily because I knew that I would love business. I didn't know that at the time. But I knew that it would, you know, teach me things and be keep my options open. Then went into consulting after graduation. Similarly, I knew that it would keep my it would create a lot of options and it wouldn't force me into a path. I think that is a maybe a theme that I still have. I like keeping the options open sometimes, but certainly back then. And then I went one more round of what do I want to do next? And I didn't know. And by this point, I'm in my mid-20s. And decided to go to business school, pursue my MBA. And I would say that was one more round of I wasn't quite sure what I wanted to do. So then, of course, I'm graduating. And, and the beautiful thing was that I felt like I had this you know, wide landscape of options. Felt like I could do any different industry or different function because I had not quite developed a specialty yet. But then at that point, it was getting mid to, to later 20s and was starting to feel like maybe I should. So I did put a little bit of pressure on myself at that time, which we can come back to. Turns out it was unnecessary. But I started to feel a little bit like I'm not sure what I want to be when I grow up. And I think I was you know, getting approaching being grown up at that point. So I put together, approached my post-MBA job search with a really wide open mindset and just great serendipity, great fortune of meeting the two gentlemen who owned the brand Lily Pulitzer at the time. It was after it had been relaunched in the early 90s. This was 2003 that I met them. And I just really fell in love with their vision for what they were doing with the brand. I had become familiar with the brand. I did not grow up with it. I grew up in Colorado before when the brand was in between stages. So it wasn't perfect 
market for Lily at the time. No, a lot of Birkenstocks. And I had a great collection of Birkenstocks that I wish I had kept. <laughs> <laughs> but so then I was familiar with the brand, but didn't really understand the business behind it at that time. And I met these two gentlemen and again, really just fell in love with their approach to building the company, fell in love with the vision and certainly fell in love with the brand and all that it stands for still today with making people happy. I always remember this moment where it was in the recruiting room of Harvard Business School. And of course, everyone's wearing suits and most of them are gray or black. <laughs> Those were the two color choices, potentially navy for the real wild ones. And I saw the, the gentleman who owned the brand and had relaunched it wearing bright color and a pink cashmere suit for one of them and, and a happy printed necktie for the other. And the happiness and the energy and the spark really spoke to me. Very grateful that I found my first post-MBA job with Lily. And at the time, we were 100% wholesale. We're really specialty-driven and, and had a limited product line compared to what we have now. Of course, at the time, it was certainly felt vast and broad. But when I look back on it, it was I'm remembering how wonderful it was to really have the focus of, of the product categories that we had at that time. So I remember in terms of figuring out what I could do for Lily, since I didn't have experience in apparel, sales was what the company needed. And it was a great opportunity for me to learn how the business really works. So that was my first role at Lily Pulitzer. I had no idea that 20 years later, I would be still with the brand and doing what I'm doing, but I couldn't be more grateful and it's been a lot of fun throughout the journey. Michelle, that is a fun story, just how it all came about and being able to connect with the brand in a real life way by seeing one of the gentlemen who was running it wearing and expressing the brand. Because like you said, it makes people happy, the bright prints, not your typical darker colors or serious tones that we see in business settings. But you said something interesting. You said at the time it was wholesale only model Clearly, Lily Pulitzer has, has a lot of stores now. How, how did that, what, what did you learn from that transition from going from wholesale to your own stores? It has been a wonderful transition and it, it's been gradual. We started with one store and then it became three and then it became five. And we paused at one point to take stock what we had learned of, of what we had learned in opening stores and learning retail. Of course, e-commerce came along and provided this additional rich dimension for connecting with our customers and tying that experience between the digital and the physical. I'd say, first of all, we went slowly or gradually it never felt like we were going slowly by any means, but we went gradually and we took stock of our learnings at different stages. Two, it's just opened up this wonderful world of being able to connect more deeply with our customers. There's just something about being able to pop into one of the Lily Pulitzer operated boutiques and chat with customers. I'm you know, fortunate and really comfortable on the selling floor and love it when I get the opportunity and, and our teams are so gracious to still let me do this, that I can jump in and, and try to work the fitting room. I don't always know the updated processes now, but really just love the chance to connect directly with customers. And that's a huge part of what our you know, retail journey has allowed us to do. And then the third piece I would say is just the beauty of of our wonderful team and having just such great talent come to Lily Pulitzer and be interested in working for us. We have many more 
teammates now than we would if we didn't have our own stores. So that's been just wonderful. And then, of course, that dovetails into more in the past five or six years, how we've worked so hard to continue to transition and continue to evolve from really having kind of stores, e-commerce and wholesale to trying to develop that more omni-channel experience. I know it's such a buzzword, but it is true. It's that service experience that we can give to our customers in a way that she doesn't get bothered by where she's transacting. And that's something that has been a huge priority for us over the past probably five or six years. Right, Lisa. And Michelle, when you talk about actually popping into the the, the floor and helping out with um, some of these sales associates, I admire that a lot. It sounds as a leader, you take that feedback from the customer directly from the customer's mouth. Is that something that has helped the brand evolve across the years? How do you guys collect feedback from the customers in terms of, hey, how well are we doing connecting the experiences across wholesale, direct, uh, mobile? How do you go about that? Oh, wonderful question. I was, I'm giggling because my last meeting was actually on how do we synthesize all the input that we're getting from our customers. So right before I joined, that was the hot topic. You must have, have had, a, had a window into it. We get so much good information. Certainly some of it is qualitative and anecdotal from our wonderful team who's out in the field, who's speaking with cus- who are speaking with customers every day. We have a great process. We call it the nightly juice. And every store team has to give us the nightly juice because the brand all started with a juice stand. So we have lots of references to juice and citrus in many of our operations that keeps it fun. But we have a nightly juice email where our store teams are sharing their highlights, their, you know, what was tough. And, um, you know, those every single email gets read and synthesized. We're actually working on some fun ways to build on that since it's such a great tool. So we'll have to have that maybe as a future Rethink Retail podcast. I'll let you know how that went. More to come on that. But really fun. We love synthesizing the anecdotal. And then, of course, we've invested pretty heavily in our quantitative and technical approaches to having good customer data. Definitely a hot topic right now and an important topic is how we really make the most of our customers, the data that they've given us and balance a lot of our marketing initiatives to really lean a little bit more into the customers who are loyal. We just launched a loyalty program within the past 12 months that's off to a nice start. We are really focused on building our SMS marketing and our, of course, email will always be important, but working on some of those direct line marketing tactics, as well as, of course, all of the just vast opportunities within the kind of the paid social paid media world, but that doesn't rely on our direct connection to the customer. Today's customers are more impatient than ever. They expect personalized, seamless experiences, and they hate waiting in line. Varen can help you deliver fast, convenient service that's tailored to your customers. Varen's retail choreography solutions include appointment booking, queue management, and other applications. With Varent, you can improve foot traffic, retention, and spending while helping employees be more productive. Learn more at varent.com retail. And I like that you mentioned SMS and loyalty programs because over the past few years, it was highly debated. It still is, right? Do loyalty programs sure. work? Is SMS annoying? And people go back and forth <laughs> on it. But I think when you have a brand as strong as you do at Lily Pulitzer, it makes a lot of sense, you know, for the right customer base who, who are loyal 
to be able to message them on their devices. It's like the closest you can get to them. So I love mm-hmm. that you guys are pushing forward on all those channels. And I also want to talk about, we talk about text messaging your customers, but Lily Blitzer has been around for 65 years and you guys are celebrating that this year. That's a huge milestone, huge. And I Thank wanted to you. ask a little bit about how you feel about it. What is the exec team saying? What does it mean to have survived for that long in retail, which is a tough industry? It is really, it's a wonderful milestone. And thank you for saying that. I think we're really proud. Yeah, and we're really proud of the milestone. The company has been through so many twists and turns. So many things look completely different from various other, really every decade you could describe as it's a different company almost. But the brand essence and the opportunity and the problem that we're trying to solve in the fashion world, it's actually remarkably steady and timeless. So the Lily Pulitzer brand, for any listeners who may not know, it's rooted in this wonderful woman, incredible woman. I'm so grateful that I had the chance to spend some time with her when she was living. But Lily Pulitzer, she was one of those having a moment in her life where everything I almost say on paper looked great. And a lot of her friends and family probably would have thought, Hey, you've got everything. Aren't you happy? And she wasn't. There's a lot more to the story, but the short version is that she needed to find a way to create more happiness for herself. And it didn't matter whether other people thought that she should or shouldn't have been happy. She wasn't. She needed to go out and find her sunshine. Of course, she was living in Palm Beach year round. So sunshine is a great metaphor for many things. But she set out to really improve her overall well-being and her state of mind by uh, creating a juice stand. It was really the you know grown-up version of a lemonade stand. Much more sophisticated, though, of course, being in Palm Beach. And, and the most important part of the story, I always say, is that, the, is that it worked. And she did find her own happiness. And she became happier and set out to... She achieved what she set out to do in her life and her well-being at that point. But a very happy accident and side effect for which I'm very grateful today is that in squeezing the juice was spilling on herself and needed to design a, a work outfit, really, that could hide the stains that she was squeezing on from her juice, all the bright colors that were a natural side effect of this, this occupational hazard. But it also needed to be comfortable. She wanted to look polished. She needed to be comfortable under the hot Florida sun and some of the humidity that can happen at times of the year. And she created this beautiful wardrobe for herself that uh, really accomplished those things and it made her happy. And really that's what we do today. We create clothing for the most part, also some accessories and, and a beautiful home and gift line that is relatively new for us, but mostly apparel. And we create it, we design it. Our team works incredibly hard to design beautiful hand-painted prints that could hide the proverbial juice, but most importantly, they just, they're happy colors, they're happy prints, they make people happy. We work really hard to create the best modern fabrics and source them from all over the world to create these beautiful products that can keep people feeling polished, casual, comfortable under any sunny sky that they may be visiting. So that part is really timeless and has not changed. We 
do it very differently today. Our processes are totally different. The scale of it's pretty evolved. But the underlying what we're trying to do in terms of the beautiful products that that the many craftspeople in our total world are, are working on to the way we sell and service our customer, the essence of it is we're trying to make them happy. And, and a lot of those elements are still quite timeless. That's beautiful. The way you told the story, Michelle, was very, number one, entertaining. I think a lot of a lot of brands probably Thank have some founding story and, and it's a little manufactured, a little marketing buzz, but that is believable, your story that you told. And I think it's so cool because it, it's it a testament to exactly what you said, where the business, because of the changes retail goes through is different almost every decade. This business started out as a, not a, was a lemonade stand. It wasn't in the apparel category at all. So to see how things can change, but a brand essence can still be there is really inspiring. You also touched on making sure that you are happy in your own life and you're following your dreams. So that was a nice touch too. And then you said one more thing that I wanted to ask about because I, I knew, I didn't know that story. I knew that you guys do hand paint your prints. Is that still done? You guys are hand painting your some of your prints? We do. Okay. It's amazing. Yes, we have the most talented team of artists. They are incredible people who have just really worked on their craft. They are painting and I should say they they do more than paint. They do block printing. They take classes. They travel for inspiration. I have this great mental image of some of the designers on our team who traveled to I can't remember where, but one of the beautiful, one of the beautiful islands and they snorkeled with turtles. And then that season, we had an amazing turtle print that that performed really well. There is real authentic inspiration in, of course, our brand history and our DNA, but there's also a lot of real authentic connection to our customers, to the world around us and, and certainly to the craft. We do things, many things that we do really start with the craft of art making product. It's not always the, we don't have the fastest supply chain in the the industry by any means or the opposite of fast fashion, but we really start with a craft and I'm blown away every day by the talent that our teams bring to the table. I'm blown away too, because as a business person, I would suspect it would be easier to just say, Hey guys, we're just going to digitize everything. We don't need hand painted prints anymore and it'll be cheaper it will save money. But it sounds like you guys really doubled down on the essence of the brand, which does require that. So I, I think that's really cool and speaks exactly to the heritage that you guys have been able to carry forth. Thank you. Yeah, there are really there are tough, so many tough trade-offs in business and especially in retail and with a lot of the challenges that any of my counterparts have been through. And I think that what I'm really proud of and grateful for to my team is we'd really talk about these trade-offs and we say we can scrimp on this, but we cannot not scrimp or we have to not scrimp on this other you know, element of it. We are always thinking about, we want things to be produced always better, always faster, always with great value to our customers. But we also know that there are some things that just have to be protected and, and really anything that's really close to our brand DNA is ranks pretty high on that list. Really cool. And Michelle, what would you say in terms of trends and how Lily Pulitzer responds or, or does not respond to trends because micro trends are a thing we're hearing about quiet luxury that's been around for a little bit but the new one more recently is the mob wife aesthetic and it changes 
all the time. And it's only going to get faster. What are your takes on those kind of social, cultural trends? Oh, gosh. We have a lot of fun watching them, to be totally (laughs) candid. We certainly have our eyes and hopefully finger on the pulse. We always try to take it back to what is right for right now and what does the brand DNA really allow us to do. And sometimes trends do fit into that. There have definitely been some fun ones, certainly the past year with Pink having such a moment, the Barbie movie and everything. It was a great year for Bright Pink. And we, of course, love that and played into it. And fortunately, we had a lot of pink in the assortment that as it was trending, we were able to really lean into and make sure we had pink in the windows. So that was really fun and made perfect sense. There are also plenty of trends that we will just sit out. It does take a little bit of discipline, but I think we have learned over the years that you know, it's it, it really... As fun as it is to play into the trends when they work, it also can be quite distracting to to try to hit every single one. And as I mentioned, sometimes we see ourselves as really the opposite of fast fashion. And there's a great place in the market for that. I know Mm -hmm. we certainly, again, always want things to be modern, but we're just, I hear these stories of customers passing the clothes that they bought for their kids that they may have matched with their young daughter and they hand it to their neighbor, their best friends, they can wear it with their daughter. And those, the garments hold up, the products, they hold up. We care a lot about our quality and work really hard to preserve and and maintain a really high quality standard. We always talk about how we would only produce product that we would be proud to give to as a gift to a loved one. And that's our bar for how we create product. It's always in there mentally. And so as a result, they the products can stand the test of time. And celebrating our 65th anniversary this year, we definitely couldn't do that if we were, were going chasing every trend because that can be exhausting and distracting. So yeah. some will hit, some will definitely <laughs> sit out, but, but it's always fun to watch. With Barbie, did you see a correlation in some of the sales from your pink assorted products? It wasn't a direct, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't like we saw a pink spike on any one weekend, but we did. We certainly were, we had a lot of pink in the assortment and we had it front and forward for the weekend. I think overall, it's hard to pinpoint this, the direct correlation. I don't, know that I can say that we had one, uh, but there were, there's always a million variables in our business. I just, I think it was a great year for women in entertainment. And uh, it was certainly a great year in pop culture for, for everyone to be expressing themselves and, and talking about being confident and finding more confidence. And you know, those things are again, timeless. Hopefully they're not trends. <laughs> Hopefully they're timeless and always topics that we can keep working on and talking about. But I think we had a lot of alignment with just making sure that part of our brand values are about asking women and and having people think about creating their sunshine. That's a phrase that we use a lot and finding their way to shine bright and stand out. And I think this year was great from a trend and pop culture perspective on just the topics of confidence and standing out the way that, that one wants to. And speaking of those topics and the theme you mentioned earlier about finding happiness, what would you give as advice to someone in the retail industry, maybe mid-level, who's trying to work their way up and do something new within the organization, but also balance life in general with work? Yes. Oh, gosh. If I could give advice, I think it would be some combination of don't worry so much about the forever picture. I always felt if I'm looking back on it, I think it was really helpful for me to plan my career and my life 
in kind of three-year increments. And I know that sounds short, but so much can change within three years. So I will share, this used to come up a lot and I just realized I haven't mentioned it lately. I I worked part-time for about three years when my kids were little. And at the time I thought that I didn't know how long that would last. And I was really worried that going part-time would really hurt my career. I was grateful to have had the opportunity to stay with the company and have, be able to work part-time. And now I like barely remember that it happened. <laughs> but I remember at the time thinking, oh no, this could be the worst thing. I'm This is career sabotage here. And it wasn't. And also it was such a short period of my life. And then on the flip side, there were times, whether it was the pandemic or the 0809 recession where my life was a bit out of balance toward the work end of things. And fortunately that didn't last forever either. So I think probably the best advice I can give anyone maybe at an earlier stage of career is certainly think about what you want. That's always a good, good, always good to think and be introspective about what you want to accomplish and what you want to go do and with your precious days. But I think thinking about it in maybe three to like, five at the most year increments, because especially in retail, especially in fashion, so much can change. So I love that. that I've never heard that. I've never heard anyone give a three-year increment. And it makes a lot of sense because I think when you think further out than that, the decisions you make feel heavier. And if you're just thinking about, okay, let's think about three-year increments, then I think you're freer to, to make decisions knowing you can change your mind. You're not locked in just because of your mindset. And isn't that the beauty of retail? There's always another season. There's always another collection. There's always another day to open the store. And I think some of that, those rhythms that we know very well in retail, we can probably apply to our life and our overall balance and strategies personally as well. Absolutely. And I always say retail never sleeps because of exactly that. There's just so much change in this industry, more so than other industries. So it really takes a certain type of personality to not only endure it, but also enjoy it and and flourish. So Michelle, I think that was a great point to wrap on. I love your positivity, everything you have to say about brand heritage and also balancing work and life. And I appreciate you coming on the show. I hope to have you on again soon. Thank you so much, Julia. This has been really fun. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Rethink Retail podcast. Don't forget to join us next week for another episode. And if you're interested in being a guest on the show, apply at rethink.industries slash podcast guest. That's rethink.industries slash podcast guest. Follow us on Twitter at rethink underscore retail and show some love by subscribing on iTunes podcast app. Until next time.